She's made an idiot out of me. Great, the perfect qualification. You'll probably end up president of the agency. You're listening to Ad Cinema Club, a podcast where people in advertising watch movies about advertising to see what Hollywood thinks is happening on Madison Avenue. I am your co-host and your legally elected president for this week, Shannon Miller. And it is such a pleasure uh, this week. And honestly, I'm just very excited because this is such an... Un- I, fe- I have a feeling in my gut that this is going to be a slightly unhinged episode. What do you think, uh, my wonderful co-host, Ashley Rudstein? The unhinged starts immediately in this movie, so I think it's going to start immediately in this episode. Um, I am (laughs) Ashley Rudstein. I am a freelance creative director and copywriter, and I'm happy that Shannon was legally elected this week. I don't like all this shade on like our previous presidents, whoever they might be. (laughs) Well, David Greiner, why do you feel like we have to emphasize our democratic process this week. Hey, listen, just because we didn't observe Robert's Rules of Order every week does not mean... No, uh, hey, <laughs> I'm excited. We got to get to this because this movie is so, so good. There's so much to talk about. And I, I'm i going to assume people listening, because most I don't think any of us, no one's seen this movie. And I'm so excited to introduce this movie to the advertising world or reintroduce it for the first time since 1957. Me too. And the film that we are so excited to dig into this week is Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, a 1957's film starring Tony Randall and Jane Mansfield. Before we get into any of that, we just want to make a couple quick housekeeping notes. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are a new show. We need as much help as we can getting the good word out there, and that helps us tremendously. And if you want to join our humble little club, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash club. Just $3 and you will have unfettered say in what we do. Kidding, you'll get early access and you can vote on a couple things, but it's still very much worth it. And we'd love to have you. Um, now, into the good stuff. Before we get into the actual meat and potatoes of the show, David, uh, when we were forming our schedule and this movie popped up you mentioned something really interesting you said that this is going to cover a really fun advert time in advertising can you talk a little bit more about that what did you mean by that i feel like the the late 50s early 60s is kind of when the world thought advertising was cool for like a hot minute you know i and i think in this Mm -hmm. movie they make fun of advertising a lot but you know it was like the everybody wore like nice suits which is apparently gray flannel (laughs) I learned watching this movie that everyone wears gray <laughs> flannel. Um, we think of Mad Men, which is the 60s, but I feel like there was this this time when it was just kind of interesting in the world. It, like Ads were kind of new because TV was new. So like that idea of, mm-hmm. of ads was just so much more... They People were watching advertising kind of take form in front of them, like in real time. Um, and the industry was taking shape and you were getting this kind of money pumped into stuff that for the first time, it's just, it's a cool time to see what Hollywood thought of advertising. Yeah, there were definitely some in, some interesting tidbits that I felt uh, 
were weirdly evergreen. And I'm really excited to dig into some of that stuff. Um, before we um, get into the actual plot of the film, here's a couple of things about success. Um, will success spoil Rock, Rock Hunter? It also starts Betsy Drake and Joan Blondell. Um, now, we all know who just international baddie Jane Mansfield is. Um, <laughs> what I thought was really interesting um, was Joan Bal Joan Blondell was a bit of a baddie herself in her day, like 30 years before that. So she plays uh, Rita Marlowe's uh, assistant, Val? Yeah. Rita. Yeah. And it's... It's such a good it's name, Rita Marlowe. Like, it's such a good fake Hollywood. That's <laughs> that's Jane Mansfield's character. It's such a good fake so name. So good. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. And um, having her kind of play this, like, futuristic mirror of that was really cool to see. Um, it's directed by Frank Tashlin, um, who is also a writer and producer on this film. He has done, a, um, like, a small collection of films. But the one thing you need to know is that he was a revered animator for Looney Tunes and Warner Bros. And if you know that tidbit going in, a lot of things make sense stylistically. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's an awesome a, tidbit. Yeah, that's yes. making so much more sense. <laughs> right. Once I was like, who did this? Like, who was responsible? Yeah, there's so many and scenes that could just end with like, dun 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a... It is obviously not a, a cartoon, but it's still somehow a Looney Tunes ass film. And it is because the man at the helm is um, first and foremost an animator. And um, one of the things that he says about this film is that it, he said about this film was that it was like his crown jewel because there was like zero compromise. Basically, um, as a writer and as a producer and as a director, he was like, I, there is no movement on anything what he said went and what went is what we got and we're better for it honestly um it's also known as uh, jane mansfield's signature film which i was kind of surprised by considering the breadth of her work um we'll definitely dig into the similarities of jane and rito later but um there there could not have been a better figure to play this, not just because of the va va voomness of this, obviously, which they <laughs> make sure to mention at the very top of the film, but um, because in terms of like Jane's legacy, she was a PR maven. Like, if there was a physical embodiment of the term, I know what I have, it was Jane's Mansfield, and she used it. Um, to the best of her ability. And we see a lot of that reflected in Rita. And um, also, this is like a, the lucid... I'm hesitant to say that it is an adapt adaptation of the <laughs> famous Broadway <laughs> stage play of the same I, I think, name. I think the writer of the play it, would also agree that it's uh, hard to call it <laughs> an adaptation. It's like, we uh, took the name and then we burned your script. <laughs> Basically, it is... They took the name... They took the star, Jane Mansfield, and there are like a handful, like a shallow handful of stylistic choices uh, that kind of signaled that maybe this was a play sometime. And that is it. <laughs> but you should know going in that uh, this is a adaptation in the heaviest quotes 
of a Broadway stage well, play. Well, what cracked me so, up is that it's like, it's an adaptation of a play that this guy wrote as like a modern Faust, right? Where this writer makes a deal with the mm-hmm. devil to, to seek fame. There's no one named Rock, Rock Hunter in the in the play. <laughs> there is no character. There's no advertising. Advertising is never even a factor of the play. And I like that like Frank Tashel, the director, is like, hey, this is a pretty nice play you've got here. What if I took the really stacked lady that you've got in it and then the name and nothing else and made it a movie about advertising? And it's like one of the best movies about advertising ever made. But I love that it's based on a play that's supposed to be this like really sincere meditation on Faust. And like uh, Marlowe, her last name, Rita Marlowe, is because it was supposed to be an homage to Kit Marlowe's uh, Faust play. And so like all this stuff thrown out the window, they're like, nah, we got we got jokes. We got we got to make fun of ad people. <laughs> I imagine someone going to Frank and be like, "You took all the wrong lessons from this play," and him be like, "That's fine." <laughs> Again, <laughs> I know what I got. He's he's got Satan right behind him, just being like, "Excellent, excellent." <laughs> <laughs> Deal with the devil and advertising do seem to go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Maybe it's more related than we think. <laughs> Absolutely. And at the top of the film, which, by the way, has one of like my favorite cinematic gags that we do not see very often, which is um, when there is a play on like the opening studio music. I think the only one that probably, I don't know if it tops it, but it, it definitely rivals it is at the top of Moulin Rouge, where in Moulin Rouge you have like the silhouette of the conductor like going nuts and um, conducting the overture. Here... Um, we have Tony Randall being a one man band playing the and it's very nuts and we don't see it often enough Hollywood and it's so fun and it sets such a precedent for what we're about to see and all he says at the end of like this hubbub is like Man, the fine print that exists in actors' contracts these days. It's such, like, a nice, just (laughs) toss-away bit. And it is, like, just one of my favorite things. And immediately I was, like, top three. I don't even need to see the rest of um, the films this season. Yeah, like, honestly, I was about to say, if you rent this movie, which unfortunately you do have to pay for it, I think. I don't think there's any free versions out there. Worth it. Worth a few bucks Mm -hmm. on Amazon or whatever Mm -hmm. to rent it. But uh, if you don't like... Just the intro. If you get through Tony Randall's intro and you are not just completely on board, just stop watching. Like, because it is entertainment wall to wall, this movie. Like, you will be entertained every second of it. Absolutely. And there, we've now covered, this is our third film um, for At Cinema Club. And already we're seeing kind of how advertising plays a part in varying degrees. In the first film, um, it was all throughout, it was literally, you know, Advertising is the very center of that film. Now with Mr. Mom, it was a very important part, but a side plot in terms of an overall story about um, gender politics and family rearing. Here, it is very simplified at the top of the film, and Tony Randall leaves no ambiguity. Um, his direct quote was, this picture is uh, is about uh, advertising agencies and television commercials as he struggles to remember the name of his own film. And (laughs) and so here it plays such a huge, huge part, which means that we have a lot to parse through. But the first three minutes of the film might be some of my favorite 
comedy in cinema. Ashley, what happens in the first three minutes? Can you take us through it, please? I I rewatched this beginning sequence a couple times because I was so surprised to see this in an older film. I don't watch a lot of older movies, but when I saw this, I was like, I am on board and I want to see this over and over again. But it's basically just three minutes of advertising malfunctioning. We we see people pushing different products as if they're filming these commercials to camera. And of course, they're talking up the products about how amazing they are. But at the same time, the products are malfunctioning, injuring them, popping all over the place, <laughs> causing <laughs> a lot of damage to whatever studio set they're on. It was just so unhinged and a perfect way to start this movie. <laughs> and we have an audio clip of at least one of the ads uh, that um, failed to launch in the beginning. Yeah, mo- most were sight gags, so we weren't able to really capture them too well. But this one I just love because of the description of the product. Shelton's beer is brewed crystal clear from the streams deep in the Florida swamps. You'll be way ahead with Shelton's beer. There is no head on Shelton's beer, no foam, just beer. Pour yourself a full glass of that heavenly brewed clear swamp water, Shelton's beer. And so the fizzing that you hear in the background is the <laughs> is the product of one of my favorite props. And it's just a bubbling cup full of the foam that is definitely not supposed to exist. And so you see it bubbling over. And all I want is to see this prop in a museum. It's such like a little detail. Like a, it's supposed to be like a mundane detail. But all these three minutes are some of the best physical comedy that you'll probably see. <laughs> Um, from the 1950s. I assume the gag is that like it was live TV, like, like we were talking about that a lot of ads were live back then on TV. And so they probably had these mm-hmm. these screw up moments pretty often. I assume that's what they were referencing with all these. I thought so too. And it was, <laughs> it was not only clever, but like at times it got like a little dark. Like this is not even my favorite <laughs> one. It, there's a parade of these ads. You have the slip easy ice tray. Um, that's supposed to like unstick from the fridge and it just doesn't. Um, you have a shaver that gets lost in this comically long beard. But my favorite is for Trey Chic Hair Shampoo that boasts that it's going to make your hair like silky and smooth. And as she like is combing this beautiful golden hair, apparently it's like Aquanet stiff and just clumps of hair start to fall from like her scalp as she's struggling to get this comb it is such and you hear the comb going through this like crunchy ass hair it is such a nice bit of sound editing and physical horror and i was like the movie could have been an hour and a half of just this and i would have been fine um but thankfully it does i just love how like every week we're like i I hope there's ads hope there's ads and then this one's just like oh you want ads (laughs) (laughs) it's all ads my my favorite from that whole sequence was the used car salesman rambunctious rupert and he's like you can get this car no money down no collateral just leave your wife with rambunctious rupert (laughs) mind you he's ripped off the door (laughs) Rip the door clean off of the vehicle. And what I love so much, what makes it so charming is that you get the sense that a lot of this was improv. 
And, like, even for uh, comedy dynamos who have this, like, understanding of the history of comedy, like, just seeing, like, 1950s improv to me is just so cool. Like, I don't know if the actors had an understanding of what was going to happen or if they were just, like, gently briefed, but you could definitely find some, like, genuine reaction uh, to the fact that there is a popping bowl of cereal, um, which apparently is um, supposed to, it has so many nutrients, it's going to make boys' like legs strong enough to stand in the, un- in the unemployment line, which was an actual line from it. There is so much happening in these first three minutes that you're like, what are we even getting into? Um, but then it does eventually move on to an actual story. Um, where- anyway, here's a plot. <laughs> <laughs> It finally gets to the nitty-gritty with a voiceover from uh, Rock P. Hunter himself, who who works at, and I know I'm going to stumble over this because it's absolutely ridiculous, works at LaSalle Jr., Raskin, Pooley, and Crockett is the name of the agency, um, shortened to LSJRP and C, which... Shortened. um, (laughs) rolls up tongue at that point which again a lovely detail that um is referenced later and uh well you tell me david what what who is rock hunter uh rock hunter let's hear a little bit of his intro uh as he describes as tony randall's like introducing his own character this is me again rockwell p hunter and that's madison avenue away down there That's my street, my street of gray flannel dreams. I'm employed on Madison Avenue in an advertising agency away up here in the offices of LaSalle Jr., Raskin, Pooley, and Crockett, or as we say, LSJRP&C. No, I, so like, this is one of those movies where the main character is just kind of an empty vessel into which the plot can be poured, right? Like, and I think Tony Randall kind of built a, um, a career in playing parts like this where he's just a dude. He's just a dude going through his life. He's got a few funny little quirks in the sense that he's got a fiance, I believe. I think they're already engaged who lives above him in his apartment building. He's got a niece who lives with him. Like it's a kid. I think they wanted to walk this line of like, how can we have him be a parent figure, but also have a love interest, which is really important for the tension of the film. And so he like, yeah, he's got this teenage niece that lives with him for reasons that are barely explained. And he's just kind of her caretaker. And he's, again, as with probably every ad movie we're going to watch, his job is never really explained, but he seems to be a copywriter or at least generic ad man. Ash, did you, did you get a sense of what, what he does? <laughs> yeah, he definitely seemed like a creative. I would say since it was in the 50s, I would assume the creatives were more of a hybrid of writing and art in one because you see him kind of sketching out some layouts that have copy and some design on it. So I would assume he's just kind of a general creative slash ad exec. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely puts more emphasis on the writing. Like, I think if you were to ask him first, he was a writer first um, before he's like any sort of like designer or art director. Um, So it felt closer to copywriter but he was also responsible apparently for a lot of the look as well so yeah it was definitely a a hybrid and you meet various characters uh 
of the agency, um, including Henry Rufus, who heads up uh, one of their most important account, uh, Stay Put Lipstick. How he does so, I don't know. He is drunk through most of this film. This man is just a walking lawsuit. <laughs> Everything about him is just like... Who speaks exclusively in drunken gumshoe and um, <laughs> is known for taking very heavy tranquilizers in the daylight. Like, I'm not understanding... Um, how he functions enough to handle what is obviously their most important client, which they reference uh, throughout the film. And obviously the entire film is based around the goings on of this particular account. Uh, But in any case, it's in good Rufus's hands and he is rock's boss, essentially. Um, I just love that the movie portrays him as like, as like, a good guy, like I think in any modern movie, you would he would just be portrayed as the creep, and in this one, they're like, "Ah, oh, good old Roof." <laughs> like, like here's here's oh, a oh look at him. Here's a soundbite of of the first time we meet Rufus. Must be your fifth tranquilizer by now. Gladys also tell you I drank my lunch. She forgets I eat the olives. That's where the nourishment is. Gladys talks too much. I ought to get rid of her, but uh, she has it on me ever since I got juiced up at that Christmas party and made a couple of passes at her IBM machine. LOL. <laughs> LMAO. <laughs> just some also, light-hearted sexual harassment. It's but fine. It's, it's just fine. of the that, IBM machine. That humming you hear in that soundbite, the humming is a automatic rocking recliner, <laughs> which I have never seen before, and I am so curious about. He's just going to town on that thing. <laughs> I mean, this place is full of amenities. Like, apparently there is um, very special bathrooms for um, VPs only. No women allowed. Mm. No women allowed. They make that very clear. I don't even know if it's like a joke. Because um, it, it was like the one moment of lucidity that we see in Rufus <laughs> later in the film. He's like, no women allowed. Um, so they've got exclusive bathrooms and a chair that rocks for you. And apparently the freedom... <laughs> to um, do hard liquor and meds during the day. Uh, So it is pretty extraordinary. And that clip is from an interaction um, that Rufus and Rock have when he enters his office to lay on him his latest grand idea, which is for, I believe it was for, it was for eggs. It was, has something to do with chickens and his idea is basically to set the theme song or to basically create a jingle to the tune of Yankee Doodle, his big idea. And he's super like psyched about it. So another thing about Rock Hunter, he has had the freedom to basically phone in his job for quite some time, apparently. Um, so he goes in to perform this <laughs> jingle and <laughs> one of uh, Rufus and Rufus's feedback uh, is basically that musical ads are out. And uh, what was the exact quote that I thought was actually really interesting? Um, he was like, oh, I thought I had it here. But basically he was like, musical ads are out. You know, the, yeah, the jingles are popular. But... Singing commercials are dead, Rocky boy. Research shows the jingles become hits, but the products don't sell. And I was like, that's really don't change. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't change. <laughs> I forgot Rocky Boy. Again, you cannot talk about Rufus unless you're like, the jig is up, Rocky Boy. <laughs> Just have this. And that is how the cookie is. It's going foldy. <laughs> it's going foldy. And it, yeah, as he's pitching this um, grand idea that is obviously not so grand, that's when he drops a pretty significant bomb that his account in particular, the uh, agency's biggest client, stay put lipstick, may be walking. And of course, that means the big old axe for our two. Uh, lovely gentleman so he mentions yeah it's gonna we're probably gonna both get pink slipped you know you will probably find or you know, who goes i'll probably find i don't have any talent <laughs> probably go back to your previous job as an entertainment journalist that hit home yeah, I think but the, this is like the yeah. first this is the first time we hear uh one of many lines just absolutely shitbagging on agency executives which of course i love but i love the fact that rufus is like i'm a talentless hack therefore i am destined to only succeed in this industry don't worry laddie we'll get other jobbies i will anyway i got no talent <laughs> jobbies jobbies after he encourages him to take a nummy wummy on the house again an amazing and time these are these are Harvard men, by the way. Oh, yeah, that comes up a lot, too. They're, like, crapping on Harvard every few minutes. I'm just like, ah, uh, well, I mean, I appreciate this. I was like, they, they make so many jokes at the expense of Harvard to a point where I was like, wait, is this a thing? Was, like, the advertising so flooded with Harvard men that you had to, to rag on? But hell, yeah. Give them hell, Rufus. <laughs> so, so, naturally, it comes to um, sort of the crux of the, the film. They just need one big idea to get them out of this mess, to convince their big client to stay. And obviously that falls on the shoulders of this one man, Rock Hunter. So he, you know, immediately goes home to ruminate on this idea. Um, and meanwhile, there is one amazing uh, figure that comes into frame, Rita Marlowe. Uh, Ashley, please describe for the audience Rita Marlowe. Rita V. Marlowe, as I like to call her. Rita is just, she is just like the epitome of a Hollywood bombshell. And I know Jane Mansfield was kind of supposed to be the replacement for Marilyn Monroe. So she looks very similar with the platinum blonde hair and the, the curls in her hair. Very perfect hourglass figure, just cute and petite. And she is just so beautiful. It's kind of yeah. crazy how beautiful this and, woman is. I mean, there is not... A, a terrible amount of distance between Rita Marlowe and the woman who plays her. Like she is obviously this bombshell and she knows it. Um, she is on like the tip of everyone's lips at the moment. So much so that all that's happening here is that she is taking a trip to New York for seclusion, a word that she's apparently learning in real time on camera um, to get away from her boyfriend, Bobo who they have a messy falling out and obviously it's very traumatic, but immediately she's on her uh, come up plan, which is I'm going to go to New York in seclusion, quote unquote, even though I'm going to make a grand entrance. Um, and I'm just going to get immediately on making him jealous because, you know, that's what I do. And that's, and that's how we roll as hot girls. So that is, <laughs> Her um, basic MO, and it is hilarious. I cannot stress enough that Jane, Mans Jane Mansfield was a comedic genius. Um, 
especially in this role, uh, because, you know, as Ashley so amazingly encapsulated that, that, <laughs> can I even do it? Just, <laughs> I, I can't. What is it? It's basically like, an inhale. <laughs> you have no, to inhale. That, that, it's, it's, it can't just be that. There is this <laughs> incredible squeak that never fails to get like an uproarious laughter from me, <laughs> like uproarious laughter for me. Um, and it is absolutely a front because this is a woman that knows exactly what she's doing and knows exactly how to captivate her audience. Um, but especially the boyfriend that did her dirty that one night that made her scoot off to New York and put his plan into motion. <laughs> I should just uh, point out that like you've mentioned how meta this movie is in the sense of Jane Mansfield is what like she was this character in real life, right? Mm-hmm. Like she, everything Rita does in this movie Jane Mansfield did in real life, like constantly trying to generate headlines, constantly yeah. putting herself out there to the point where this movie is so meta The her boyfriend, Bobo, is played by, uh, was it Mickey Hargitay, yeah. uh, who was her real life boyfriend. Hmm. He's a weightlifter. And like... They got married. Their kid is Marissa Hargitay from uh, from Law and Order SVU. Like she was doing this with her real life boyfriend. I mean, <laughs> everything about it so meta. I love it. It's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> and so her entire mission is to do as much as she can in the public to make her boyfriend jealous. Meanwhile, Rock, uh, Rock's niece is a huge Rita Marlowe fan. She is the president of the local fan club. She is the first one to welcome her off the plane. And also, she is the only one um, um, on Earth, apparently, that knows the exact location of where Rita Marlowe is and is sure to (laughs) offer that tidbit to uh, her uncle, who apparently needs a big idea. Bingo, bango, here you are. Rita Marlowe's in town. His niece knows where she is. What if he can get Rita Marlowe to be the ambassador of Stay Put Lipstick? It's a script that writes itself because all you need is a beautiful face. So he goes off to seek her out and we find her in the hotel room where she is having (laughs) this incredible conversation with Bodo that is nothing but stunts and shows. I... Cannot tell you um, how much I appreciate uh, Rita as a woman who has been jilted, who has just wants to make the wounded party even, or make the other party as wounded as you feel. And she is a master at it. In the background, she is pretending um, that Val, who is, you know, as an assistant, I'm very unclear on what Val's role is because I thought she was her lawyer, <laughs> but she's her assistant and also her masseuse and her best friend. And apparently it's like, she, she does it all, man. She Jean Blondel, she can do, she can do anything. <laughs> One stop shop. So as she's, uh, giving her a massage, she's pretending that obviously that her new New York beau is giving her this massage. And she's like, just bring me a man. I don't care if it's a bellhop. I don't care who it is. I need a man on this phone, pronto. And obviously, perfect comedic timing. Knock, knock, knock. In comes Rock Hunter. Better than a bellboy. Look at him, dreamboat. And he's there to pitch this idea. Um, And she's like, not right now. I have an even bigger mission for you. 
and immediately goes into I, I can't call her anything other than stunts and shows. We do have a clip from that, by the way, when he's as she's trying to introduce this man to Bobo, who is obviously heated on the other line. Please play. Yeah, th- this this falls into the trope category of this movie of of just really ragging on television. In this case, specifically television ads, because uh, she's trying to convince Bobo that this guy that she's with is a high powered advertising executive <laughs> and does not want to hear that he writes spots. He's only the great big influential advertising man. That's all he is. <laughs> what do you do there? Hmm? Um, I write TV commercials. TV commercials? Oh, no, no. Oh, I could never go for a guy who did that. Could I? Only kind you've missed. Better think of something else. Okay. I just feel like I have to have a disclaimer. <laughs> Copywriter? <laughs> Copywriter? No. I, I understand that we're in episode three, and copywriters, you have caught a lot of strays. I am so... We at Asimu Club love our copywriters, <laughs> friends. We do. Your job is very important. Um, I just feel like not representative of Asimu Club, but very hilarious that she's immediately like, no, something else, literally anything else. And <laughs> copywriters, again, aren't the only ones that um, get flack here. Because immediately when he's he's like, I'm a VP, she's like, mm, more, more. How about president? So no one's no one's safe. But in any case, Rock Hunter immediately falls into the role of the fake boyfriend of one of the most famous women in the world. And there's where they strike the deal, right? He needs something, a bombshell of a spokesperson, and she needs a fake boyfriend to parade to the world to make Bo regret um anything ever anything and everything. I feel I love this personally again as um, a person who is in PR and communications. This film obviously says a lot about advertising, but it says a lot about PR and the power of personality and the role it kind of plays in advertising. What do you think, Reiner? Yeah, like it, again, not to keep going back to real life Jane Mansfield, but like I thought this movie was unhinged in the stuff that they do to try to generate PR where she's because it sets into motion this basically long series of uh, montages, right? Of all the different ways she wants the world to believe that she's having this torrid affair with this, uh, you know, this advertising guy. Uh, but in real life, like Jane Mansfield's PR people would be like, hey, so uh, what would you say about jumping into this pool and pretending like your swimsuit fell off? And she's like, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> and they're like, when there's a bunch of photographers around, it's like, hey, uh, why don't you go to this club and accidentally like drop the, your top, you know, two times in one night? And she's like, cool, I'll do it. Like if if anything, and she in real life, very, very smart. This movie kind of has a mm. is is credited with creating or at least perpetuating the dumb blonde stereotype because she does that little like dolphin squeak we keep talking about she acts really dumb and silly but just like Rita in the movie just like you know is Jane Mansfield in real life uh, where she knew exactly what she was doing at all times everything was methodical like folks have maybe seen that picture of Sophia Loren like looking over at Jane Mansfield's cleavage with this look of mm-hmm. like you know you're supposed to you read it as just jealousy, right? She's looking at this decolletage and being like, oh my God, that was completely staged by her PR team. They put her next to her. They made sure her boobs were falling out the whole night so that 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 kind of moment would happen. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. It's uh, like, I loved seeing to your point how it's a movie about 
advertising, but it's a movie about the power of PR. Right. Like, she was known as the smartest dumb blonde for a reason. Like, there's no question, whether you're talking about Jane or Rita, that there is an understanding of what she is doing and that she is absolutely in on the joke. Not only is she in on the joke, she is (laughs) the orchestrator of the punchline. Because at the end of the day... It's all within her power. Even even at one point, she in her one of her most like just real moments, she's in the car with Rock because I know we're skipping around quite a bit, but at some point they do agree that they're going to have the symbiotic relationship, that she is more than down to be an ambassador for um stay put even going as far as to do a big TV extravaganza later. But all he has to do is be available to her publicly to make sure to sell this very specific narrative. And um, when they are in the car kind of cementing this relationship, she even goes on to say, yeah, the studio is really worried about my acting in this new film. Um, So, you know, we just got to do all this shit. And it's very, like, just a straightforward moment cloaked in squeaks. I, (laughs) Ashley, I... (laughs) I'm wondering if you had any moments um, in terms of like really looking at the gendered politics of all of this. Was there any moments that like you struggled with in terms of like, is it empowering? Is it leaning too much into a stereotype? I don't know. Did you kind of struggle with any of it while you were watching? Yeah. I mean, that car scene specifically that you mentioned, even when she's talking, her voice Mm -hmm. is so much lower than when she's talking to the press, when she's got that really high-pitched, squeaky, you know, dolphin squeal sort of voice. And then when she's just alone with Rock, she's talking like a normal human. So right there you can see that she has to put on this face and this persona for the press, which I think a lot of females in the public Mm -hmm. eye can relate to. Um, But, yeah, I mean, even the way she was dressing all the time, you can tell that she's doing everything on purpose, but – she has to, whereas all the dudes in the film are just wearing their boring gray flannels and going <laughs> along with their day. It is. I Something I kept thinking about with this movie, there's so many sexist lines. I mean, it's a 50s right. movie about, you know, the, this character. And from the beginning, like literally in the opening, we mentioned Tony Randall's like, she's got a great figure, like in introducing, you know, his co-star. So there is a baked in pretty intense level of sexism. But sometimes you have a movie like this where the most sexist lines come from the worst characters. And and so you kind of end up wondering, wait, so is it is it really sexist or are they just kind of trying to um, make an anti-sexist? I would never call this movie anti-sexist no. or feminist, but, um, <laughs> but then you get like these lines like this from Rufus, which is just disturbing, but you're like, but everything Rufus does is disturbing. Right. So maybe... If talent had anything to do with success, Brooks Brothers would go out of business. Television studios would be turned into supermarkets. We are talking about success. A world where fancy foreign cars replace subways and bus transfers, where all women are beautiful and willing. Why did you need to throw in willing, Rufus? <laughs> and willing. Again, it's like, you're, you're absolutely right. Who else would spout that line? It's it's gross, and it's also right. incredibly fitting, considering who we're talking about. Um, the person who's talking about Gladys's IBM machine. Yeah, it's, there is like this, I mean, it would be pointless to 
sit here and like retro cancel a film from the 1950s for not being like peak <laughs> feminist I'm, theory. I'm starting to think the people who made this <laughs> might not have been up to code in their feminist thinking, but it, but it was really interesting that they did whether it was intentional or not, there was this very measured understanding of who Rita was. And that, um, aside from being a bombshell who <laughs> hops off of planes in, like, vivacious one-piece bathing suits and kimonos, is also a brilliant PR marketing strategist. Like, has an understanding of what needs to be done and what is going to get the attention of news internationally, which, by the way, as a PR person, foaming at the mouth, <laughs> this idea that all it takes um, is this relationship to get all the press you could ever need without any sort of pitching or outreach, just like, we're going to hop out this plane and hold hands and that's it. You <laughs> be in Italian press um, is pretty um, amazing. <laughs> and Russian. Russian. We're just gonna stick a goatee on him, <laughs> which is a hilarious <laughs> bit for me. Um, but it, it works effectively. He isn't to the public eye. He is not Rock P Hunter. He is Lover Doll. Um, once this um relationship is made public, and very quickly he becomes a personality um in his own right because just being the beau of Rita Marlowe is enough apparently to garner press and uh adoration from very desperate young women uh to even get endorsement deals of his own it definitely um is an interesting look at the cult of personality and how much of that fuels our marketing and our advertising and none of that's changed either <laughs> so I, I yeah I, it's like on the one hand i want to say that well you've got things like taylor swift's relationships now and all these things that generate headlines but i do feel like that when a celebrity is with someone that's not well known no one cares and no one writes about mm -hmm. it you know what i mean like when they're having a relationship with just like a producer or a you know, someone that has no public face, the public and the press are just like, eh, I don't, I don't really care. And so that's the one thing with this one is like, obviously they try to build this fake reputation for him as the world's greatest kisser. And that's why she wants to be with him. And, and he like women swoon everywhere this guy goes or whatever. Cause he's just so, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, maybe, but you know, again, it's true that she generated so many headlines that at some point movie studios would be like, okay, that's great, but that's too much. <laughs> Like you're starting to overshadow the movie. Could you dial it back? Um, and she started to get negative press coverage because she was doing so many things that the that the public started to be like, eh, I don't know if I like this. And so it's true that like she really generated headlines. So they're not making something up. But on the other, it's like obviously. And now that you, man, now that you told me that this guy was like a Looney Tunes animator, that whole sequence makes <laughs> so much more sense, right? Like traveling around the world and like yeah. he's in a Russian newspaper, but they put like a Stalin goatee on him and like they, you know, he's in France and they put a little thin mustache on him. All of that is so Bugs yep. Bunny. And uh, man, thank you for cracking <laughs> the code of what what I wasn't catching. About <laughs> yeah. This there's movie. even like a uh, Tom and Jerry ass scene between him and just this group of women who 
their sole role is to find Lover Doll. And it's like, girl, get up. Like, he is not that interesting. Why are we staking out, like, hanging out outside of a hotel to look for this random man? And then when they do spot him across the street, they literally chase him through the streets. And it's like, there might have been, there There <laughs> obviously should have been, like, a sound, sound bite in the background going, like, yip, 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 yip. Like, he's like... Hopping over structures and being chased <laughs> by this group of women. Um, and then, you know, side note, yes, a lot of physical comedy. Even there's, like, one point where he kisses Rita Marlowe. There's a, a, a thing of popcorn in his pocket that just randomly starts popping. It's, <laughs> again, incredible. Looney Tunes. So hot. <laughs> like, I, I got I to gotta, yeah. gotta say this for Jane Mansfield, too. Like, whenever they kiss... She is all in. Yes. Like, you know, I really expected like a Hollywood kiss, like a just a lips just smashed against each other. And and there it's kind of that. They're certainly not like full on open mouth or anything, but she is she is on Tony Randall. It's really funny because she's just like every time they're supposed to be kissing on camera, she's just like, come here. Oh, and she is on his because, face. She's like the alien. Because at the end of the day, like because again, very little distance between Rita and Jane herself. She's got a reputation to uphold here too, beyond this movie, beyond anything else. She is a bombshell. So every kiss is going to land because she's Jane goddamn Mansfield. And there's no like ambiguity, none of that tepid, like I'm going to be aboard because, you know, keeping things changed. No, it's going to sell. It's going to land. For the simple fact that she is hot, she's like, "Here's what, uh, here's what worked on JF, here's what worked on JFK." <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. I, and this is a woman who, like in real life who slept with JFK, slept with RFK, slept with like, I mean, yeah, amazing. You gotta just amazing, an incredible roster, it's, and it's, it's I love it. and but again, all of this is happening. You kind of forget um, at moments that. All of this is happening because he has a job to save. Like, he, even though he, we we didn't cover this and that's totally my fault. There is a scene that happens before all of this, before he goes off to even look for Jane, where he gets this, like, light, like, this light bulb of an idea, makes these incredible storyboards that he storms, um, that he uses to storm into the, uh, the agency offices as they're preparing to meet with their client, he's like, I've got this brilliant idea, but because he dared to um, interrupt uh, Mr. LaSalle and the rest of the random collection of suited white men, he's fired on the spot. He technically doesn't even really have a job, but because he's managed to hook this national attention, all of a sudden now he is the hottest commodity in this agency and at the end of the day this is all about just getting to be a creative uh ashley do you feel like there is this like continuing struggle between like the purity of creativity and sort of like this art of pr that sometimes in this case obviously detract from that and do you feel like this film did a good job of depicting that yeah it's definitely hard as a creative because when you're so siloed in the agency world, what you think is creative may not be what the general public wants to see or would care about. Sometimes it gets so creative that the general public is just like, 
I don't give a shit about what you're telling me right now. Um, so with with this whole thing with Rita Marlowe, it, it's there isn't really even an idea. It's just he's picking this bombshell who's known for her kissable lips to be the face of a lipstick company. Like there's there's really not much creativity going on in there, but it makes sense because she is what the public wants to see. So if you're too bogged down in trying to be like the most creative, smartest, biggest brain ad exec you can be, you might be so far removed from what the public cares about right. and wants to see. It's he even touches on it a little bit later. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't know that we get to really um understand rock as a creative. Like we do a little bit in the beginning because again he's like i'm just gonna set this theme song to the tuna yankee doodle and turn it in and we also get to see his failed stay put fluorescent <laughs> lipstick layout oh yeah yeah and he like, said his headline was he can find you in the dark <laughs> yeah, not not at all creepy I'm sorry yeah you gotta pause to see that one <laughs> that is I don't know how I missed that one in the notes. Like, I was very focused on just this pearlescent smile. Then I'm like, how did he get those teeth so damn white on that paper? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like, I paused it and walked over to the screen. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that line is so unnerving. It is harrowing. Oh, that sense of chill. This movie doesn't portray Rock in any way except as a profoundly mediocre uh, person creative person everything now that's part of the gag right yeah. is that he is supposed to be this not to say antithesis this foil for um jane mansfield's character she is glamour and talent and the full package he is nothing and like he's fine he makes some good jokes but that's it he is like a nothing and so i kind of like that they don't portray him as even a good copywriter <laughs> he's in fact they make him out to be a pretty big hack. And there's a whole monologue at the end, which we've got a soundbite of later, but like, which kind of pays off this idea, I guess, in a way that's kind of of its moment, of its era. But like, no, I, I like the fact that they don't, it's he, like people talk about Don Draper, like he's the God's gift to creativity. No one's going to make that case for Rockwell P. Hunter. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> it's it's incredible to watch this play out and it's hard to figure out whether or not you're rooting for him because he, he's not like a terrible man mind you th he has a a fiance in the background that's just got to take this whole thing on the chin um but like he makes it very clear that he's not necessarily relishing in all of this like PR circus he just kind of like wants to make his commercials and go and they do like a good job of at least communicating that like how much of a steely reserve do you have to have to be like yeah jane mansfield fine but i've got a good thing going i really want to preserve that this is just straight business he's like there's no moment where he is like under her spell or like oh this is a viable option for me it is strictly business for him. Um, meanwhile, she's sort of struggling with her own love issues. She has this one kiss with Rock, and it's like, ooh, Hachimachi, maybe I'm in love with him. And Val's like, no, girl, you're not. Like, you are going through things, and you need to just recognize that. Um, but 
Uh, can I? Can I? Can I? Like on that note, can we set up the most cursed soundbite in this whole? Please, movie? I beg you. The one that's going to get us the the ex, the explicit rating mm-hmm. on this episode. Um, so, again, <laughs> we're not kidding when we say Joan Blondell, former bombshell, like she was the '30s version of Marilyn Monroe. Um, and she's aging, you know, it still looks, looks great, still awesome, but she was in the play. And so they brought her in to be only she and Jay Mansfield were in the play. And so she's amazing. So she has this great monologue when Jane's like kind of trying to come to terms with, do I want to be with rock? Do I want to be with Bobo? Do I really give a shit about any of these people? And she tells her this whole story about when I was young and, uh, I was in love with this guy and she was working in Hollywood, but she was in love with the milkman. Which is really sweet. And like he would come around and she would always just be like, mm, hey, what's up? Uh, and she was working for this megastar and all this. But it, distractingly in this story, she says the most out-of-pocket thing that you could possibly say in describing your very sweet romance with the milkman. I'd get a throat full of heart every a.m. when he'd drive up to our back door. <laughs> Which back door is she talking about? I, I just had to. I was like, so I was telling you guys before we started the show that I was like watching this with my mother in law, who's a big, you know, old movie fan, and I and she was just like, "Why do you keep rewinding it to that scene?" Because I, I was trying to get the timestamp to get that sound. I'm like, she got a throat full of what? I mean, one more time. Hold on. I get a throat full of heart every a.m. when he'd drive up to our back door. <laughs> It's she is saying she is saying heart like your heart is in your throat, but man. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for you're, indulging you're me. You're welcome. Shannon. You're you're very welcome. Yeah, it's it's oh not hilarious. Like it's interesting to sort of watch uh this dynamic play out and like this love story is just so so secondary to everything else. But all of that to say, like this could have very well fallen down. Um, a very common trope where it's like, oh, this bombshell wants me. Clearly, I'm going to go for, you know, the upgraded version. But really, he all he wants to do is be an ad man and be with his very sensible girlfriend who lives upstairs and build a home with his niece daughter. And that's it. Like, that is uh, what he wants to be. Very run-of-the-mill and something that he recognizes and touches on later where he's like, isn't that the dream to just be, like, mediocre? And that that's pretty much it. So it's, like, it's very unlike Mr. Mom where it's like, oh, I don't like this guy at all. At the end of the day, I don't know if you, as a viewer, if I have any strong feelings about Ruck. I like want him, you know, to just do what he does. He seems harmless, um, but at the end of the day, he's very indicative of kind of, a, I think, what the vision of the perfect ad man was, which was you show up in your gray, boring suit, and you know you figure out a jingle, and then you mind your business. So I thought that was uh, really, really interesting. Um, before he just wants to be a VP, man. He just wants that VP title. Sh- That's all. Just. He's a simple man with simple needs. <laughs> VP of what? Doesn't, doesn't I just ma- need to know. Doesn't matter. At some point, they promise him two VPs, <laughs> like two VP titles, which I kind of want to know. <laughs> two VP titles um, of what account? I don't know. Is it the Stayput account? Because there's already a VP there. How is that going to work? But, you know, 
whatever. <laughs> just a key to the bathroom. That's it. Key to the bathroom, automatic racker. The That's dream. all that matters. So uh, before we see whether or not all of this actually pays off, there is <laughs> this incredible moment uh, kind of before we get to Act 3 where there is an intermission of sorts. Please, David, walk us through this. In a 90-minute movie. <laughs> a 90-minute movie. <laughs> Please tell us about this. Uh, this was my favorite part of the movie. Um, and it's just 60 minutes in. They have exhausted their plot. They've exhausted their jokes. And you're kind of feeling for the writer to like, I got to fill another 30 minutes. So what do they do? They just straight up stop the movie and they have an intermission where Tony Randall comes out again, I guess in like meta, he's himself now, he's not Rock Hunter. And he just spends like several minutes just taking an absolute dump on television. (laughs) I don't mean like taking a dump on television, but like he is just like, he is just like, hey, uh, TV sucks because it's constantly interrupting you. So we're going to make fun of that for a minute. So we've got, we've got some of that here. Ladies and gentlemen, this break in our motion picture is made out of respect for the TV fans in our audience who are accustomed to constant interruptions in their programs for messages from sponsors. We want all you TV fans to feel at home and not forget the thrill you get watching television on your big 21-inch screens. Mind you, as this (laughs) is happening, the dullest, grayest TV set is framing his face so we're taking a break from this vibrant color that we've been used to the entire film to for him to be like oh this is for you tv fans that like that gray grainy bullshit every day (laughs) it's incredible (laughs) i think the the best the best zinger is actually one where he says like and because he's just talking about like what TV is like back then, obviously with the interruption, they're trying to make the case for don't stay at home and watch TV, right? Come out and see movies. A con- a very topical thing, right? Coming out of pandemic, and we have all these movie theaters being like, yeah, man, movies, go see them in theaters. But but he makes this line of like, hey, you know, and I know you like watching movies on TV. I too like watching thirty year old movies. <laughs> 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 it's just like a little zinger thrown in there of like. <laughs> I like the oldies. Um, yeah, it's great. Great intermission. I honestly think it was just to fill time. I think they finished this movie and they were like, okay, uh, so it's 63 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> we need to pad pad this movie. <laughs> so this incredible uh, shady intermission happens right before we hit the big stay put lipstick extravaganza, which isn't an extravaganza. We don't really know. We don't really see much of it, but we do see the intro where Rita enters the stage to an adoring audience and lets everyone know that this is a very special TV event for obvious reasons, but one of them being we're not going to see any advertising during this sacred moment, so you're not going to hear anything about Stay Put Lipstick and their many, many products, which she um, takes great care to list in her very breathy voice. And um, she's doing this in front of one of multiple neon signs. There's a neon sign um, back by the curtain. And then there is one special neon sign strapped to the back of a very special guest. And we have a clip from that moment. Yeah, so this is her, like, supposedly her... 
longtime flame that she's mentioned only like a few times in the movie. It's not like he barely even comes up, but that she's in love with some guy named like Georgie that, uh, that's, oh, he was my love before I was famous. And then he comes out and I got to admit, I was like, I about stood up in my seat when I was like, oh my God, celebrity cameo circa 1957. Rita, I love you. Oh, and I love you, Georgie. But why did you wait so long to tell me? You know, you never even tried to kiss me. I never could get that close. It's Groucho Marx! <laughs> it's Groucho Marx! That's amazing! <laughs> I was like, holy shit! Imagine for a moment that you were watching this film cuddling with your very attentive husband, who then throws you to the side of the bed when Groucho Marx comes up again. Because that's certainly what happened to me as I'm watching this with Justin. I was like, what is happening? And I was like, oh, Groucho Marx. Well, that's weird. <laughs> but welcome to the 50s. The mo- one of the most fitting cameos. So aside uh, from that, Ashley, product placement. Obviously, this is a winning moment of product placement. How did you feel about it? It was so subtle. A neon (laughs) sign strapped to Groucho Marx's back as he canoodles with Rita Marlowe. It it was just so ridiculous that I loved it. Because I think this whole gimmick that they're doing in this extravaganza is something that I would see, I, I would imagine, could still work today. Like, if you are so in on the joke... That oh we're not we're not doing advertising we're not going to talk about stay put lipstick and stay put lipsticks beautiful matte colors we're not going to talk about that it's it's that is like probably one of the most creative ideas that I saw in this entire movie so I appreciated it and its level of ridiculousness I, I feel like w- you would one hundred percent you have seen this gag in Super Bowl ads mm-hmm. right it's like a lot of people waste their money in Super Bowl ads on this we're not going to tell you about this product because it's so great like this gag is timeless and I loved it as soon as they started getting into it and the way they packaged it is like we're not going to bother you with ads I was like this still works still good it's and you don't even mm-hmm. have to think about like formal advertising in that realm it's really interesting to um kind of consider who can kind of get away with very overt advertising like you have to i mean obviously who amongst us can really say oh yeah i'm on jane mansfield's level like i'm not about to say that but if you are an engaging enough personality or um, sort of a beloved figure in whatever space, whether you're, it's you know formal celebrity, um, TV, TikTok. If you're like a beloved creator, it's really interesting. There is this um, understanding, there's this level understanding uh, that you know as a society, we're not big on ads. We know, everyone knows, advertisers know, but it's not only just like how you present the ad, but also who. And so she can get away with, you know, giving you, shoving this very overt advertising down your throat because you love her. Same thing on, you see it on TikTok too these days. It's like, there's this big discussion about this stupid TikTok shop that is now, you know, basically turned into an insufferable QVC. But there are these few creators that will pop up and be, who've been like, listen, I know you hate the TikTok shop. I hate the TikTok shop. But also, I have this really amazing loofah, and I just kind of <laughs> want to tell you about it. And we just let it rock because we love that creator, and at least they're being honest. Um, so it's it's interesting to see like just how much personality can make these kind of what would normally be an insufferable moment pretty bearable or even fun, depending on 
their relationship with the audience or how that advertising is packaged. And so you have this moment where she promises you something, immediately reneges, and it's fine because she's cute and squeaky. And that's pretty much it. And ultimately, it must work because we do, in the end, see Rock uh, reach the heights of, I guess, multiple VP titles. He now has two keys to two different bathrooms. I mean, <laughs> fantastic. So now he's no longer like this lowly copywriter slash art director, whatever it is that he is. He is now a two-time VP um, and has reached the heights of success. But as you can imagine, apparently it's not a, that it's all cracked up to be. It begs the question. It begs a very specific question. Did did success spoil Raya? <laughs> he said it. He said it. <laughs> and the answer is apparently it might. We're we're finally at the moment. I like. I love that all the you know again they took this this title of this play they they based nothing about the movie on the play and it's like it's like at the end they kind of remember oh wait shit we were supposed to like have a moral lesson here. And so it's like Rock's got everything he's wanted. And then he has this like, he goes full salt burn and like dances across the entire agency office. Um, and, and is like enjoying having like this unfettered, not naked. No, sadly. Um, but like he, and then, and then he just like has this fever dream about, is it, it, does it actually suck to be rich and have everything I want? And they kind of just tie up everything. I mean, I'm not going to like in the show here, but I'm just saying they kind of tie up everything in like five minutes. It's like, did successful. I mean, he's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not great. Anyway, we got to wrap up this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yet another film where it just kind of ends. But he, it does touch on this um, very interesting um, point. And Ashley, I love your thoughts on this. So you have this moment that should be like the advertising dream. He's this creative, this, you know, seemingly lowly creative, if you want to call it that. He had a lot of responsibility for a lowly creative. But he's like this, you know, low-rung uh, copywriter slash art director. And he reaches like the heights of success where now he is this major big time executive and apparently he's not happy so for as a creative like what does it mean to like climb this professional ladder and is there some truth to that moment that we see with him like is there like the risk of kind of sacrificing this happiness that you gain as a creative and creating for this height of success. How did you feel about it? I definitely think it makes sense that he was unhappy the higher he got up because the higher you climb, the less yeah. creative work you actually do. So he, it seems like he was kind of handed the keys to the office, basically. Like he is the president now. So he's not going to be doing any of the creative work, most likely. And when he's talking to LaSalle Jr., the former president of the agency, he Junior says this thing that I thought was so funny because he was not happy in his role. So he's kind of glad that that uh, Hunter has kind of taken over for him. And he says, it's not the kind of business that right. requires thinking. 
And I thought, again, they're just really dogging on advertising here. But I can see that at that level, there isn't much thinking going on, at least creative thinking. After our conversation that day, I I started thinking. (laughs) I hadn't done any thinking since I inherited the agency. It's not the kind of business that requires thinking, so so the process was a little strange for me. <laughs> so so good. It's so Such out of point. nowhere, just like every once in a while they remember, hey, like, hey, agency presidents, <laughs> you guys suck. <laughs> Imagine being the executive in the, off- in the audience, like, just you're trying to enjoy this, like, cute movie with Tony Randall and Jane Mansfield, and still you're getting, like, bullets about your job bullets about who you are as a person who you're You're trying to eat your tranquilizers you're trying to eat your olives (laughs) it's just you're there with your ibm machine you have to look forward to at that level (laughs) just incredible it's and you know your mileage may vary maybe this isn't something that you really you know struggle yeah struggle with maybe you're just like yeah you know i wouldn't mind maybe you know just being the the overseer, I guess, and at an agency, but they definitely um, harp on this idea that you know the the higher you climb, um, the less fulfilled you may very well be. We see Lasalle just watering roses. That's all he wants to do is just be in the sun watering roses, and then um, in the end, <laughs> we see Rock uh, in sort of a look forward. He has removed, he also has removed himself seemingly from advertising. He now has his wife and his niece daughter hybrid and a, a chicken farm. And they're like, this is dope. This is yeah, what I chicken wanted. Farming. The, <laughs> it's like the, the Brooklyn hipster creative dream. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to be raising my chickens. Uh, <laughs> it, it, but that's, I, I only want to backtrack for a second to include that the big moment, the big monologue that he ends on is the is a testament to white privilege uh it's really weird to like watch this scene in in the modern era because they really meant it they thought they had something here and it's amazing hold on here we go all my life i fought against being a failure i didn't have sense enough to know that i'm not a failure i'm the largest success there is i'm an average guy and all us average guys are successes. Rock P. Rock P. Rock <laughs> because, P. <laughs> he, goes, he goes on to talk about like average guys are the ones who elect the president. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> but I feel like maybe this isn't the message that it was intended to be in 1957. Uh, again, one of those things where <laughs> you go up and you're like, uh, Tashlin, maybe you got all the wrong lessons from... What this is supposed to be? He's like, I don't care. It's a dope movie, and he's correct. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I guess whatever. Everyone, everyone's happy and uh, mediocre, and it's fine. And Jane's still hot, so all's well that ends well. <laughs> it's it really is. Again, maybe this shouldn't be one of my favorite films. It's one of my favorite films, easily. I was so entertained every minute. I, it's hard to describe. Like sometimes you watch a movie and you just are, it's a ride and it was so much fun. Um, and I just, yeah, it's not like I'm saying like, let's make more movies like this today, but just what a, what a fun movie. So again, it's like, it's a few bucks on Amazon, but yeah, it's worth it. If you work in advertising and you love hating on advertising, you just want to see some really funny kind of 
not say slapsticky, but just like some old school humor. It's a just I loved what a pleasant surprise. This yeah, was. I ended up renting it twice, um, and then I just eventually bought it. Like it's just. There's so much that you can go into. <laughs> dropping like $30 on the Rock Hunter on portfolio. <laughs> to the point where like my bank texted me. was like, is this correct? Yes, it's fine. Just just let it ride. Um, <laughs> the, the estate of Frank Tashlin was like, why are we suddenly making money? <laughs> so, and it is such a, it's such a worthy, worthy ride. There is like, there. I mean, there's obviously a, a couple of straggling questions here for me. But here's one of the big questions that I really wanted to get your take on in this film. And obviously it could be comparing apples to oranges, but I must know in the end, who is the better marketer, Rita or Rock? Rita, 100%. Who's going to vote for Rock P. Hunter (laughs) when you got like publicity master? He's just a writer. We know what people think about writers. He's just an average man. I just feel like I should again preface this in case you missed it from the previous episode. Um, Ashley is married to a copywriter, so she is allowed to, and she's a writer as well. And I am a writer and a writer and is and is that's right. So So it's like I can confirm all of it. And I'm an international bombshell. So between the two of us, we've we really saw ourselves. In this I, you know, I said that a lot as Jane strolled out in her like amazing canary yellow jumpsuit. I was like, she has a striking resemblance to David Greiner. And I, yeah. <laughs> both hotties. Yeah. yeah, I get that a lot. International hotties. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the it's the wasp's <laughs> physique uh, that that does it. But man, what a good yeah, what a good movie. This was great. Thank you guys for walking through this blast of, of a film. So, yeah, um, definitely Rita is the the favorite. I mean, we, usually we would sort of wrap this up with, a, like, does it nail the brief? Obviously, I think it's safe to say that a 1957 movie is going to be well before any of our times in <laughs> advertising. Um, but do we feel like it nails a specific brief? I feel like it nails a few. Maybe. Like, at least in terms of, like, the constant struggle between creativity and PR, at least from a comms perspective, I think it got that pretty right. I I think what it really succeeds at is that they made a movie that is so of the moment. Again, we keep talking about how meta it is, but, like, that's actually super impressive. It'd be like if you made a movie about a, a TikTok influencer right now, you would make it kind of make fun of that person, right? It wouldn't be complimentary. You would be like, aha, look at these dumbasses, because you'd be making it for like the mainstream America audience. I feel like they made a movie about uh, Jane Mansfield and Marilyn Monroe and a few other people, but like in the moment while it literally was happening. So the things that they're making fun of are happening in that very moment. It feels like it was a movie written in real time. Um, And I love that. That makes it such a great snapshot. It's not a movie made in 1957 about the 30s, right? It's a a bit like, (laughs) I say this, in only one way, it's a bit like Casablanca. It is not like Casablanca, but it is in the sense that they were writing Casablanca about things that were happening at that moment, right? Like literally in real time, like here's what's happening right now in North Africa. And to, I think the 50s just kind of had that vibe in Hollywood of like, just write it, man. Write it fast. Make it about now. Make it about things people are really into. Um, I love that. And they, they really nailed it. Nice. So, yeah, I agree. And I think like the the – I mean, again, we're – we were not around in 1957, but um, I would imagine that with 
advertising kind of blossoming in that time, people Mm -hmm. were interested in it. Like now everyone is just, you know, get ads out of my face. I don't want to hear about it. But then I think that opening sequence is like a testament to how entertaining ads were to people. So they they wanted to see these live demonstrations of the products. They wanted to see the actors they know showing different products on their television. And it, it the way that they represented that sort of entertainment factor of advertising in that time was really yeah. cool to see. Yeah, it's it reminded me of uh, of um, I Love Lucy, like the episode where she gets drunk filming the episode about the cure all tincture or whatever, and like she keeps <laughs> trying to like read it, and she's just, like getting drunker and drunker. Which I, they make that same gag, obviously in um, in uh, Schitt's Creek, but like you know, it, it, people were obsessed <laughs> with this idea of like of ads just going wrong, and uh, yeah, that's great. Well, if you can't tell by our rave review, I feel like if we were to award this a, a pretty straight gold in terms of entertainment. It's cool. Yeah. It's Grand Prix shit. Yeah. Titanium. <laughs> Titanium level. I... <laughs> Glass line for this bad Glass line for good and purpose. <laughs> <laughs> for perpetu- perpetuating, you know, <laughs> advancing the cause of women uh, through this movie. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> I, you know, all the accolades, five gold stars, give it, can we still give it Oscars and, and Grammys, give it everything. I absolutely love this film. And I am so glad that we were able to dig into it. There is a, a lot going on. It's a film of beautiful chaos, and it's so hard to pin down. And But again, worth it, a 90 minutes that you will, will not want or need back, because it'll be well spent. So, yeah. I'm always impressed with movies from this era and about how many sex jokes they make. And they're they're veiled, but barely, right? So you, we, we played that Groucho Marx bit about, like, I couldn't get close enough to kiss you because her boobs are so big, right? <laughs> Is the But then there's an earlier one, one that early on I was like, whoa, oh my. Uh, like, when he is kissing his fiance outside of the apartment because he doesn't want his niece to hear whatever, or it's outside her apartment <laughs> or whatever. And then she says something like, Okay, but let's be careful because my insurance doesn't extend to the hallway. I'm like, they're going to break the hallway doing it. This is... And that was romance. There's just some lines where I'm like, hell yeah. And that's the way the hallway breaks. Mixed in were some beautiful lines of poetry as well. Like, that's the way the poop poops. Yes. So it was really just an exquisite film. Shakespeare wishes. Shakespeare wishes. It's... Uh, I'm probably going to go back and and watch it again tonight. Uh, It is such an enjoyable moment. And um, (laughs) just the coolest looks at old school advertising. I'm still still laughing. I'm still laughing about you getting like launched off the couch when Groucho Marx comes to the scene. (laughs) A Looney Tunes ass night. Like I was like having to cling to the Groucho Marx. Sir, get it together. It, I mean, it means, yes, <laughs> incredible, but please calm it down. Yeah, so if you end up um, checking out this film, which I think we highly recommend, please let us know what you think on um, all social media. Um, so listen, I really enjoyed um, talking about this with you guys, um, but I also learned that as president, this is a lot of work. Um, I don't feel like doing it <laughs> anymore. So I, at least for a week, I got to take a break. 
I am uh, relinquishing my title as president. You're like, oh, that one episode. <laughs> Time to hit the old dusty trail on this one. So, um, yeah, I move, (laughs) Ashley, um, that you take my spot. You know, women helping women. Please. Oh, second. (laughs) I accept. Okay. I accept that title. But I've already stuffed the ballot box, so even if you didn't We love a plan B. We do call Ashley the the Rita of... (laughs) Rita Marlowe of Ad Cinema Club. She's going to give her attention no matter what. So, yeah, absolutely. You got it. So, as president, what is your first order of business? What are we doing next week? Our next film is going to be the incredible rom-com from 2003, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, featuring Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson. I think there's some sound bites of this film going around on TikTok right now. Even though it was literally 20 years ago, it is still... Just as amazing, and I can't wait to uh, dig into it. That's our that's our Valentine's pick. It's our big big Valentine's pick. Perfect so timing. I I wonder. So right now, you can place place your get your bets of how many times are Shannon and I going to mention that we did an entire podcast interview with Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> Ashley's gonna be like, I know. Shut up. I know. <laughs> shut up. I, I'm. <laughs> going to restrain myself to a modest 50. I can at least guarantee you that, but you will not hear it. Well, as as Matthew told me <laughs> once, and Shannon, really everyone here except Ash. Uh, <laughs> no, so. Fantastic. So excited to reunite with our dear friend Matthew. Uh, yeah, I think that is it for us. Thank you so much for joining us. Please check us out on uh, social media, uh, specifically Instagram at Ad Cinema Club. Um, find us on LinkedIn and TikTok. Oh yeah, we we do have TikTok at Ad Cinema Club. Check that out as well. Highly entertaining stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Ad Cinema Club is a production of Batwell Studios and Big Screen Lemon. If you're looking for the best possible team to help you launch a podcast, cast voice talent, handle audio production for your ads, you should head over to batwellstudios.com and mash that contact button. Tell them Ad Cinema Club sent you. This episode was hosted by Shannon Miller, Ashley Rutstein, and David Greiner and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. Our theme song was composed by Brad Lyons, also at Batwell Studios. If you like what we're building here at Ad Cinema Club, we hope that you'll become an official club member by joining our Patreon. It's a mere $3 a month at patreon.com slash ad cinema club club members get to enjoy early access to each episode you get to vote on movies that maybe we should watch in the future and you get exclusive access to a few bonus episodes each season so please check out that patreon we would appreciate it also please take a moment to rate and review ad cinema club on apple Podcasts. we're a new show so those early ratings are incredibly important for helping us reach new listeners uh, you can also reach us at ad cinema club at gmail.com you can visit us at ad cinema.club And yeah, thanks for listening. This club meeting is adjourned.